You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Griffin, and on this episode, my co-hosts Elizabeth Woodson, Adam Hawkins, and I continue our dive into the Southern Baptist Convention as it concerns the issue of race. On this episode, we're going to get to talk with Pastor John Anwuchikwa, who recently made the difficult decision to leave the Southern Baptist Convention because of his concerns about the denomination's seriousness around racial justice and harmony. As we discussed in our last episode, our conversation with Pastor Dwight McKissick, the SBC, or Southern Baptist Convention, has a deep and long history as it, uh, it pertains to race. And it's not a good one for the most part. And we've seen SBC leaders try to right the wrongs of the past. But even today, many pastors, in particular black pastors, are feeling frustrated and alienated. And many in general are questioning how serious the denomination is about pursuing racial justice and harmony. And that's why we also talked to Pastor John Anwuchikwa after planting a church through the Southern Baptist Convention. This year, John made the decision for his church to leave the SBC. So if you haven't listened to our conversation with Dwight McKissick, you may want to listen to that episode in addition to this one. But here's our conversation with Pastor John. Well, on today's episode, we have a pastor from Cornerstone Church. This pastor, Mr. John, and Pastor John, I should say, I have to be honest, the only thing that I've been nervous about this episode is my attempt to try it's to pronounce... It's phonetic. It's phonetic. Anwu it, Chekwa. Anwu Chekwa, which is exactly what I was going to say. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I've read your name a million times. I've right. read what you write. I've I've followed you on social media. Yeah. I just have never said it out loud. And right. so that that made me nervous. But a lot of people call you John O if they John feel o. less than yep. confident. Yeah. Well, John O, what would our listeners need to know about you? Need to know about your family, about your church as kind of your little bio background. Oh yeah, uh I'm a husband and a father. Uh been married to Chandra for 13 years. We got a uh, three and a half year old daughter, Ava. Um, we live in the West End of Atlanta. So I live, I own a business, and I go to church in the same neighborhood. And so we just try to keep our worlds small, and we're just trying to do our best with some of our best friends to bring uh, holistic change to the community that we're involved in, right? So what we say all the time is, you know, this is our goal. We just want the people that live in the West End to be able to experience the goodness of God uh, through all five of their senses, right? So when we talk about holistic change, right? Giving somebody a sandwich is not the gospel. That's not what we're trying to say, but helping somebody go from an empty stomach to a full stomach, motivated out of the generosity that we um, yeah, give based on what God has done for us, that is a way that we help somebody to experience the goodness of God through one of their senses. And so we're just trying to do that holistically to the community that we're involved in. Uh, love basketball, love reading, writing, um, the whole nine. So 
That's what you know about me in a nutshell. I love it. You're a, a great leader, and you've got a great voice that a lot of people listen to, so I'm really excited and honored wow. to have you on here with us today. Before we get into kind of the more insider talk about the SBC, and a lot of our listeners may not be SBC. I promise if you're not, this will still be of, of great interest to you uh, because yes. this is a national conversation or even a global conversation. But right. before we get to that, uh, Pastor John, can you tell us a little bit about the history of, of your church, what it was like uh, originally planting a church within the SBC? What, yeah. was, your, what was your in in the denomination? Right. So our in was, um, the only thing I knew about the Southern Baptist Convention was that uh, the Southern Baptists used to own people. So that was what we knew, right? Um, we left Denton, Texas. So I uh, went to school at DTS, helped to plant a church in Denton. We left there, 25 of us moved to Atlanta in 2009 to plant an independent church. Planted Blueprint Church in 2010, 2011, Somebody that we knew that was a part of the SBC was like, yo, the SBC is really starting to make strides and changes. And we're like, yo, SBC, they used to own people. And he's like, no, 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 there's so much more. In 1995, look at what we've done, right? We said sorry. And their strides, and they started to talk about all the things that they were trying to do. And it seemed like there was a sense of solidarity around the concerns that we had. And so we said, yeah, let's come in. Let's give this thing a go. And so um, our church joined the SBC, the lead pastor of the church in which I served as a teaching pastor, went on staff with NAM and started to play a big role. And we were just involved. And so I served here. I served uh, there. And then I got a chance to teach and train and speak to some church planners. And then that turned to every orientation of church planners that they had, that they would bring to Alpharetta. I would right, speak there. We planted another church five years ago, and we said, all right, we're still a part of the SBC. And I was on councils and spoke at the pastor's conference and served as a board of trustee and was behind the scenes and, and, and. And it was all uh, folks would say things like, yo, if you really want to see things change, you got to get plugged in and involved. Uh, yeah, work on things from behind the scenes. And so it was just it, trying to be involved, trying to be a good uh, partner. And it sounds like you were. Did you, at that time, so you you had reservations going in, but then people had kind of convinced you, hey, things are different. Did yeah. you start to see any of those reservations at that time? Or was this yeah. more like uh, things have changed? Or do you feel like at that time, things were going really well? Uh, so it was always, I always had um, a hopeful skepticism, right? Where... Uh, you know, where the skepticism was probably written in capital bold font and the hopeful was Arial, lowercase, <laughs> right? A little smaller, right? <laughs> but it was this sense of, nah, we sense things are starting to go in the right way. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, personally, it was just like, um, man, I came across a quote uh, by a guy by the name of Clark Kerr. Clark Kerr was... Uh, the president of the university system uh, schools in California. And Clark Kerr said things like um, when they were getting ready to give him all these perks for his role, he's like, nah, I'm going to buy my own house. Nah, I'm going to cut my own grass. I know y'all have somebody that'll do it. But he's like, I've seen perks build prison walls around people's mm. consciences. And I just want to have the freedom to be able to say no or, or, or to speak up. 
So that was my posture with the SBC. Man, I'm grateful for this. This is a partnership, right? I'm going to invest in. I'm not going to just be out here wilding, starting to speak ill. However, like there was a skepticism as Mm -hmm. things came up and it's like, hey, y'all, we've really got to talk about this. And it's like, oh, yeah, sorry. We'll do better next time. And so it was just, yeah. Yeah. Was, it, was that particular, was that other, did you see it more like in the pastors that were also SBC or kind of in the structure itself of the way the denomination was operating? Was it like, it's the boards, it's the leadership? No, no, it's team. the structural things, right? Yeah. So it's like this, like, yeah, you know, and this, is, this is what I say. Like, um, I love the pastors that I've met at the SBC. I've, I love a lot of the leaders that I've met with in the SBC. I think it's a community of people that are full, like it's full of great people. So I'm not all bad on the SBC. Right, right. Structurally though, I do feel like, um, yeah, the people that have, you know, positional influence and power, uh, those who have the ability to steer the ship that is where I think I lost confidence, right? I didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I didn't have a concern like, yo, most of the people here are on the wrong page. I don't think that. I think, but I did felt like, man, most of the people that have the ability to steer this ship and to set the agenda, that was where I felt like I'm 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 not quite sure we're aligned. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to mention uh, two of our sponsors. The first one, and this has been uh, Culture Matters' favorite sponsor for two years running now, is the Dwell Bible app. Dwell is an audio Bible app unlike anything else out there. You can customize who's reading the Bible to you. You've got a handful of different voices, background music. There's even a new search feature that allows you to search for any verse or passage of scripture you want to find quickly and easily. So if you're a Culture Matters listener, will you please go to dwellapp.io slash culture matters. Check it out. You can get a 20% discount. Start using your ears to renew your mind. That's dwellapp.io slash culture matters for 20% off. And that's an annual or lifetime subscription. And then secondly, uh, today's episode is sponsored by The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's a, it's a book about the cultural amnesia, expressive individualism, and the road to the sexual revolution. It's by Carl Truman. And if you haven't already heard about this book, you need to check it out. Everybody is raving about this book as one of the best descriptions of how our culture got the way it is and the implications of that. It's from a scholar named Carl Truman, and it comes from Crossway. So Crossway uh, has given us a special link for Culture Matters listeners. Go to crossway.org slash culture matters and check out the new book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. I'm serious. It's, It's on my bedside table right now. It's a profoundly powerful book. Check it out. The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. I mean, I think it sounds like after, and I don't know how many years you kind of were actively and heavily involved in the SBC, this kind of skepticism and hope that you were talking about, your skepticism started to have more realization than maybe the hope. Um, And so 
you know, you made a really, you made a decision to leave the SBC, made mm-hmm. that decision publicly. Yeah. Um, I follow you and and value your voice. And so yeah. you wrote a really great article about that yeah. um, and kind of your decisions. But what prompted you, um, maybe what was the straw that broke the camel's back? What was yeah. the moment that you're like, hey, you know, I need to go on about my business and take my church yeah. and, and do the work of the Lord? What was yeah. that for you? Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, it's hard to talk about the straw that broke the camel's back because whenever you talk about that event, people disregard the the composite weight and That's they good. look at that thing and, and they say, no, but look, can't we yeah. get past this? And it's like, yeah, we could get past this one straw, but it's yeah. not this one straw, it's this one more straw. That's good. And so I think the events of the summer summer of... 2020, this is what did it for me. Because I feel like I came in and it was always about timing. Now, right timing, right? Mm-hmm. The stars have to align. Things have to be there. Yo, be patient, right? Wait, wait, wait. So I did. Like, I waited. And there's just a plethora of, like, things that we did. And then I saw, um, so here's what, yeah, yeah, it changed it for me, all right? Think back to the summer of 2016, and what you have is in a week span, Philando Castile gets murdered. Mm-hmm. Alton Sterling gets murdered on a Monday and a Wednesday. You turn on the radio on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday morning, and on the black radio stations, the Steve Harvey morning show, no, no prank calls. The black stations are like, yo... It's somber. Black and brown people are mourning. You turn on the white stations and it's business as usual, mm. right? It's like, no, we're going to do the brain call and all this stuff. On Thursday, and y'all are there in Dallas, five cops get shot. Right. Then on Friday, it's a national day of prayer. Then we're all together praying, mourning and all of that stuff. And it seems like there's this big thing. And then fall of 2016, Donald Trump gets brought in, right? And at this time, like Moeller, um, Russ Moore, all of these folks were just saying, no, no, listen, y'all. Man, they were just saying, no, look, something is different about this guy, right? Moore, Russ Moore didn't say anything else except, yo, Donald Trump, yo, 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 he's a mean guy. Mean-spirited. And at that point, this is what it was like. It clicked. Jack Graham out in Dallas says, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Mm-hmm. Like, and Russ Moore got chided, not Jack Graham. So it's at this point that you want the leaders of the organization to look him in the eye and say, I don't care how much money you give, that ain't your money, and that's what bullies do. But they didn't. Instead, they chided Russ Moore. And in these past four years, Donald Trump, right, and again, politics aside, has been more mean-spirited than anybody thought that he would. And in a guy like a Russ Moore who has a wife and five kids, he said less and less and less and less and less through the years. And we are at a point now 
in this convention where, and I was just trying to say, I asked folks, no, no, listen, listen. I know Beth Moore is going to speak out about race stuff. I know all of these folks are. Is there, give me a white leader in a position of authority in a conservative evangelical denomination that is speaking more or harder against a Christian nationalism that folks from the alt-right, like if you have a predominantly white church, people from the alt-white, that is the pond that they want to fish in. And I'm saying, you mean to tell me this whole denomination, there's not a positional leader that's going to speak out more about this than CRT? And I'm saying, uh, so I felt like, yo, that's a problem. And it's a problem because if no positional leaders will speak out more, then either everybody agrees, which is terrible for any organization, or people disagree, but they don't speak up. And after I put out my departure from the SBC, um, I know it's not because everybody agrees, because after I put that out... um, I had Nicodemuses coming to my inbox under Mm. the cover of night saying, yo, I agree with all of what you said here, but I can't retweet or post it. Right. And, and it's like, uh, like, I don't think that shocks anybody to hear that. So that took place in 2016. And then it was just thing after thing after thing after thing. And so the straw that really broke the camp and was back for me was feeling all of this stuff would come up, but then every conversation that we had would be reactive. Something would get done. Hey, we did this. Let's talk. And it's like, yo, y'all already did that. Next time, before you accept an invitation for Mike Pence to come through, just talk and bring folks in. Yeah, sorry, we're definitely going to do that next time. And then the next time came and it didn't take place. And then the next time came and then it didn't take place. And then the summer of 2020, Ahmaud Arbery, Mm -hmm. Breonna Taylor, um, George Floyd. And now what you have is we don't have to have five cops get shot but you have the whole world in mourning, the whole world saying, yo, maybe there is something wrong. And that was like, yo, this is the time. The whole world gets it. NASCAR is getting rid of the Confederate flag. The state of Mississippi is changing its flag. The whole world is getting it. And I felt that the Southern Baptist Convention was quiet. And the things that they put out or had folks talk through was like, hey, y'all, our talking points are going to be about reconciliation. Let's be, yeah, undivided, unified, and not about the brick wall that is standing up like in the way of us being able to be unified. And so at that point, it was it was as clear as day to me. I feel like the scales mm. fell off. It's like, yo, mm. if the entire world gets it, right? If if the one time in modern 
history. It is actually socially acceptable to do this. And y'all are still fighting against it. For me, it was like, oh, I was always told, not yet, not yet, not yet. And now mm. it's like, yo, this is yet. And yeah. to see that it didn't take place, then that's where it's like, oh. And then I just feel like as time has gone on now, it's like seminary presidents put out this statement against CRT. And do you know what you have? Mm. Nobody critiquing it. What you don't have are the minorities in the Southern Baptist Convention that are vice presidents in positions of power. You don't have them publicly saying, wait a minute, this was wrong. You likely have them, right? And, and again, let me just say this very, very clear. I have not spoken to any SBC vice president about this, though I have friendships with guys like, you know, Walter Strickland's and folks. This is not them. But what I am saying is like, yo, nobody pushes back against it, but I can almost guarantee it just feels like the same thing again. I bet there was a meeting back door saying, ah, yeah, sorry. Uh, man, we're going to bring y'all in next time. And it's like, uh, mm. those are the things that I, I, I just can't get past. And... I felt like any organization that is unable to have healthy public conflict around issues that are this important, it feels like, yeah, there's something wrong internally. Yeah. I love the way you put that healthy public conflict around yeah. that. So, uh, yeah, I guess, um, you know, not being on the inside, watching right. things from the outside, just totally agree. I, I remember, I remember thinking something's wrong. Um, when when the with the Rustmore when the Rustmore stuff came out, same thing. Yeah. Like from the outside, it's like, whoa, this is kind of strange. Like it seems like dudes who aren't even in the SBC, you know, Trump or whatever, have more influence inside the SBC right. than brothers and sisters inside the SBC. Right. You know, even a Dr. Moore. And that that was just like super strange. I just remember thinking, this is real weird. And I guess what I didn't, what I don't know, I, and I always wonder from the outside is like, what's the conversation behind closed doors like? Yeah. Like, uh, and so I don't know if you like, you know, you're, you're sort of saying here's the things that are happening on the surface. It, is it behind closed doors? Is it just sort of apology that doesn't lead to any difference? Or are there people who are actually behind the scenes who are like, um, no, we need to go all in with Trump. We need to do the Pence thing. We we need to like what's what do you know yeah. what that's like back well, there? I just yeah. have no idea. No, no, and so this is where I definitely don't want to overstate my involvement, right? Sure. But there sure. are folks that have been involved. I've been a part of select few things. And so I, I think of like one thing I was a part of. Um we uh uh, what was it, man, man, 2017, 2018, uh, the SBC is like, yo, we've really got to work through this. Like, let's, let's get people together. Let's talk about things that need to change and all of that stuff. And I will give it to them. The North American Mission Board did an incredible job of trying to uncover the problem. And I think with with like a genuine heart saying, 
yo, let's do all the things that we can change or let's really try to change things. So I do feel like, right, and 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 again, like, I'm not trying to go all bad on the SBC, right? Although it sounds like it because I keep on setting it, <laughs> right? Yeah, hitting them. Um, but it was like, this was at the point where I started to see, oh, there's a bit of a disconnect. So we, we're all here in the room, you know, 30 black pastors from all across the U.S., some, yeah, white dudes that are in there as well that really have a solidarity around this thing. And we talk about how can we change, what can we do, blah, blah, blah. And everybody brainstorms all of this thing. So there's a list from, you know, curriculum stuff that needs to change on an institutional level to events. Like it was out of this conversation that was birthed the series that that the SBC has now um, that, you know, Dahadi and J.D. Greer and, um, yeah, Brian LaRitz now and this whole crew are in under... Divided, where they talk and they're trying to train the church on how to have conversations about race. And it's a like, I'm I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Uh what the thing was like in that same meeting, there were lots of things that we talked through, right? So one of the things, me and a group of folks were at the table and we sat and talked through and like, yo, um, you know, even the word Southern in Southern Baptist uh, wasn't initially only a term of geography. It was one of theology and ideology, right? It was a political term, right? And folks are going to throw it out like, yo, this is a blind spot. And it's like, it, it, it is not as much of a blind spot as folks think, right? Read the appendix of the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglas, and you'll find out he dates it at the end. In April of 1845, he calls out with specific words the the slave holding, women whipping, child plundering, man stealing aberration that masks itself as Christianity. And he goes in and he signs and dates it April of 1845. The Southern mm-hmm. Baptist Convention starts in May of 1845. Mm-hmm. Um all the resolutions in the past that kind of talked about the name change. By the time it got to the floor, it was about, yeah, it's not practical. There's pragmatic things that can be done. So at this meeting, we sit down and say, yo, we really need to to talk about changing this name, right? And what we're met with, and again, I think it comes out of the right heart, is that's a big thing. That's not a thing that we can do here. Uh, it's better for us to do the things that we can accomplish and not do the things that we can't. And what we're saying is, no, 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 no. I know that it's going to fail, mm-hmm. but if we bring it up, at least we start a national conversation and make sure that race is at the heart of what this denomination started about. And now we can talk about how God might uniquely use the Southern Baptist Convention to be the answer to what the whole world's trying to solve. Come on. But at this point, they're like, nah, that's just too big, and that's not where we want to spend our time. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like sitting in a room and to hear a bunch of folks say, nah, it really doesn't take all of that. Let's start slow. 
And it was at that point that it's like, oh, I don't think that they understand the true nature of the problem. Because I think if you understand the true nature of the problem, you don't see things like this as extreme, right? When the dignity of black and brown lives are at mm-hmm. stake, right? This like creeping incrementality um, is not an acceptable pace to move at when there are lives that are at stake. And um, so, yeah, it just got to a point where it was like, we we sat back and it kind of feels like, um, so you know, like Christ's words, yo, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. That sounds extreme to people that don't understand the true nature of the problem. To people that understand it, they're saying, yo, all right, while I may not pluck out my eye, geez, I definitely know, right, that um, even though you didn't mean for us to take it literally, like D.A. Carson would say, it's literally true. Um, they understand the nature of the problem. With the conversations that I've had with certain people that are involved in being able to set the agenda within the SBC, I didn't feel like they understood the nature of the problem. And I think this is where me and Dwight differ in our approach. Um, I think Dwight is brilliant. I love his heart. We didn't get a chance to really meet until after I left the SVC, <laughs> but I love the passion with which he's examining the scriptures and God's word and what we should do and applying that pastorally to trying to see these things change. Uh, but in many ways, I kind of feel like he's Ezekiel. Like, yo, I think you're going to go up uh, against uh, people that aren't going to listen. And it's the type of thing where it's like, yo, Dwight, I believe that you feel called uh, to do this from God because I don't know why you would still continue to. <laughs> but um, there's an aspect of where, where I felt like Man, I'm I'm 36 years old, right? I live in a community where the median household income is 30 grand, right? My neighbors deal with all types of things that um, I just felt like, man, Lord, I don't know how much time I have left. And I think I would rather use the best of my time investing in the community that I'm a part of and co- communities like mine than trying to convince people that there is a problem that we all should be a part of or contributing to diversity by constantly being in a place where I'm trying to change somebody else's agenda. I know history and I know movements like the civil rights movement were diverse movements, but the aim was not diversity. The aim was Mm. solidarity around a specific concern. And you had a diverse group that got there. And so it's like, my world is no less diverse. Uh, I found that it's actually more diverse than my time was when I was with the SBC. But now I'm surrounded by a group of folks who are setting their sights on um, trying to repair a different agenda. You know, I think what you, you bring up and even just 
the your ex your leaving of the SBC to me really is characteristic of kind of a greater movement within black people who are in white evangelical spaces. Yeah. You know, I think there are a yeah. lot of my friends that I talk to, you know, who are leaving because yeah. of the same sentiments that you have mentioned. Yeah. Um, and so kind of what conversations or what is the sentiment of other black pastors that you've talked to in the SBC um, or just in white evangelical yeah. spaces? Because it is this tension of we want change and we want a different reality when it comes right. to who we are and how we're able to exist in this world. Yeah. Um, and the tension of, do I stay in this yep. white evangelical space or do I leave and start something on my own? Uh, Elizabeth, that's a great question. Um, and one of the things that that I'll say is that I'm glad that you asked that because I feel like the conversation is so polarized that when somebody leaves and gives the reasons why they left, it's all it's couched as if I'm the guy that's trying to convince folks to leave. Mm -hmm. And in everything that I've written or said, I have never given anybody an application. This is what you should do. <laughs> I've said, all right, I, this is what I see. If we agree on the interpretation, then I really don't care if you come or go, because I'm going to go. I just care that you agree on this. Like, we need people inside that agree on this. The problem is we have folks on the inside that don't agree on this. So my main thing has just been, you know, I'm not like, I'm not, um, yeah. I'm not defining anybody's blackness by whether they stay or go. Because that's silly, right? That is, once again, to define blackness by its proximity to whiteness, right? Close or near. And I'm saying, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying, yo, I think there's a problem. And the funny thing is, it's like, as I talk to everybody, those that stay and go, uh, there's, there is, I don't want to say unanimity, but everybody would say, yes, there's absolutely a problem. Right. And um, the main thing that I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to change the paradigm. Right. So uh, folks are like, yo, do we stay or do we go? And what I'm saying is that's like that that's painting with such broad brushstrokes that it's like the world is not that black or or white. Right. So it's like. I left the SBC. I'm still a board member for the Gospel Coalition, right? Mm. So am I. So have I left white evangelicalism or not? It's, it's like well, no, no. Like I've left an organization that I don't feel like is currently set up on the trajectory to address this issue of racial injustice that is very, very near and dear to my heart. And I think that the church should address. So I left and I'm not a part of it, but um, I'm still a part of TGC. And so, uh, but it's like, and the stuff that we left to go and start, um, me, uh, the BD, Daryl Williamson, Lou Love, a couple of other folks have started a church planning network called the Crete Collective that is aimed at um, 
planting the gospel in historically neglected black and brown communities. Now, did we leave to start that on our own? We don't have all the resources. We don't have the wisdom and stuff that we need. We've said, hey, we're concerned about this. Who, like, I'm not pro-segregation. I'm pro-solidarity. Whoever has solidarity around this concern, let's go. And there's white folks and there's black folks and there's brown folks. And it's like, yeah, so it's like, yeah. So, so, so at the end of the day, I'm counseling people to yeah, go to the Lord, pray, ask what the Lord would have you to do. Um, and my main thing is like, you know, if you are going to stay, then do you see these same things? And are you going to let things continue the way they have? This is the last thing I'm going to say, and I'm going to shut up. <laughs> I think I used to be so concerned, or what would make me stay in an organization is I would do do the math. And I would say, nah, there's a lot of good folks in here. But the good people in the organization outweigh the bad people here. So I'm going to stay. Um, I think as time has gone on, um, I don't care as much about the amount of good people. I care about how many courageous people are in there. Because I think a few courageous people, even if they're outnumbered, right, Joshua and Caleb, can do amazing things. And I just feel like, and again, right? So I'm not saying that, and I just have to say, say this, I'm not saying that folks that stay in there that don't agree with me are cowards, right? That's not, yeah. I'm not trying to make my interpretation, the litmus test yeah. of somebody else's courage. But I am saying, I know there's some people in there that agree with me. I know there's some folks in there that sit in those rooms and say, yo, it's not right. And I know that there's certain folks there, right? I know that there's some folks that don't speak up because maybe there are prison walls. Yeah, maybe, maybe Perks have built prison walls around uh, their conscience. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, I think you've done a, such a good job of even answering, maybe even preemptively, but maybe you've heard these criticisms where people would say, well, if you're leaving, you're not, you're, you're adding to the problem, not helping solve the problem. Oh, yeah. And I think yeah. you've really well addressed that. Like, you're not leaving yeah. because you're out of cowardice going, I can't solve the, out of, uh, out of love for this group of people and this institution that you wish was different. You're saying, I right. can't continue this. And at the same time, you've also addressed, I think, helping people, maybe pastors that are listening, uh, yeah. have a more informed decision. But yeah. as like a last question, can you just speak to, a lot of our listeners are not obviously in authority positions in the SBC. Yeah. A lot of them are not leading their churches. And yeah. maybe a lot of our listeners are not in the SBC, but they want to be a part of solving some of the things that have frustrated you both institutionally and individually that you're seeing on the West End of Atlanta. What yeah. encouragement can you give to us pastorally? Hey guys, this is how... This is how you're part of the problem, or I'm just I mean, how does this how you're part of the solution, and not just contributing to uh, whether or not we'll. I think you answered the question so well. If this, if we make the main point, whether or not you stay in or out of this party, out of this club, out of this, yeah. whatever, then you, you may miss out on what what you're actually trying to say is. I want to be about this work. Right. And if people yeah. are not about this work, then 
then I don't. And what what do you say to the the listener who just wants to be about that work? Yeah. So what I would say, and I've said this yeah, yeah, time and again, um, where you have a willingness to help, but you don't have the wisdom to go about it in the right way, um, you're gonna you're gonna mess things up, right? Whenever somebody says the words, but I was only trying to help, mm. you know they've just been the cause of a disaster. But it's like, but they were like, yo, I'm willing. And I think when it comes to this work of um, yeah, addressing with the gospel, right, with God's word, these specific areas of ethnic superiority, racial inequality, racial injustice that exists in our country and persists in our churches, I feel like people often go into it yeah, very, very, very uninformed, right? Or they go into it without wisdom. And so what I would, would say, man, one of the things that folks need to do is the first thing that they could do is they really have to take a deep dive into the nature of the problem. John Dewey, I think that it was, says, um, a problem well-defined is a problem half-solved, right? Mm-hmm. And I think like... Um, I'll never forget this uh, episode of Martin. Uh, <laughs> uh, Martin Martin goes to to uh, Gina, and she had been pressuring him like she really wanted to get married. And he comes up with a, it's a terrible proposal. <laughs> and he's like, fine, are you happy? See, I did it. And she's like, wait, 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 no, 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 no. It was more than just about the act. Like for you to propose to me in this way, you don't understand what I was really upset about. And I just feel like sometimes in the race talks, like, yo, yo, we apologize in 1995. We, we've done this, man, I'm trying to help. I want to talk to folks. I want to like hear from them. And I think people are too quick to action. And so I would say the very first step is you've really got to process and you've really got to, you know, understand the nature of the problem. And I already know when I say this, right, I'm going to be couched as your avid, you don't think the Bible is sufficient, you think CRT and all this stuff. All I'm saying is, yo, um, people unhelpfully pit science the sciences against the Bible. Amen. And in so doing, they misuse the Bible, right? Yeah. So let's take a science. Archaeology. If you if we did not have archaeologists, there would be so much context in the Bible that we would miss. Archaeology is not the enemy of biblical interpretation. It helps us understand certain things, right? And so yeah. it the sciences across the board do that. And so I think there's some helpful things to be found in sociology that just help us to contextually understand the human uh, condition. And so that's all that I'm saying. I'm not gonna recommend any books. I'm just (laughs) going to say there are certain things that are helpful in that regard. And I would really love people to um, understand the nature of the problem. I think that's what that's what changed 2020 from 2016. I think we were quarantined, locked away in the house. And so people saw this 
and there's nothing that you could go outside and do. So what do you do when you can't do anything? You give yourself to learn. And yeah. as folks learned, they said, oh, this goes deeper than I thought that it would. And a problem well-defined is a problem have solved. That is a very, mm. very wise response. Also, one of the top five Martin and Gina metaphor analogies that we've <laughs> had it. ever That's on the it. show. That was hey, that was a helpful conversation, Pastor John. Thank you for having it with us. Thank you for being willing to be one of those courageous people who says yeah. tough things yeah. into a tough environment and yeah. is willing to face criticism and hopefully not too much ridicule for it, yeah. but wanting wanting this country to be better, more like the kingdom of God that it's supposed Absolutely. to be. So yeah. thank you so much for your time. Amen. Yeah, thanks, man. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Roark. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. Also, follow us on Instagram. Thanks. See you next time. God bless.